It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. What's up, Talk LP Podcast fans? It's Amber Bradley, your host. Super stoked to welcome RLPSA speaker. Is that your most important title right now, Ryan? It might be. Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ryan Dowd. Chief Empathy Officer, which we have to talk about that title, for HomelessTraining.com, and as I mentioned, RLPSA Annual Conference Speaker. What's up? Howdy. Good morning. Thanks <laughs> Welcome for in me. to the hot seat. This is the unscripted side of LP, which we just finished talking about, which is why I don't provide questions. Well, I do, but not to Ryan. So he's full on. It's full on hot seat. I'm going to make it up as I go. <laughs> All right, so I'm really interested, and I know the audience is, clearly there's a reason why we're having you as a speaker at the RLPSA Annual Conference. And so tell us about homelesstraining.com, what you do, your expertise, and kind of what, you, what you've got going on, and then we'll jump into why anyone should care. Yeah. So I, probably the only person in the world that exclusively trains on homelessness, like that's all I do uh, is, is train organizations on how to work with individuals struggling with whether it's homelessness or mental illness, substance abuse, trauma. Basically, how do you work with somebody who's struggling with some very deep vulnerabilities and how do you manage problematic behavior from them in a way that's compassionate for them, but also gets people to follow the rules because, you know, chaos is nobody wins in chaos, including individuals suffering from homelessness. So that's really the intersection is how to help people struggling with deep issues, how to help them follow the rules and maybe not end up in arrest and, and, and some other bad stuff. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, as we get into, and RLPSA is a member-run organization, right? So our members tell us what they want to talk about. And this has been a constant topic, right? So we've addressed it from what are you doing internally, policies-wise, de-escalation, training, uh, training, like all of this stuff. So we're trying to evolve the conversation, which is how I got connected with you through a, a major restaurant brand that's amazing. I, I guess I won't say, but um, so tell us about that. Like when you're training, like what is the difference between what you do and your standard de-escalation, say you understand type of training? Yeah. So most people operate in a sense of like, okay, it, I'm, I'm going to treat you exactly how I, what would work for me, how I would want to be treated in that situation. And when you're dealing with someone who's, whose life experiences or, or cognitive functioning is dramatically different than your own, you can't just do what feels intuitive. You have to do what works for an individual in their situation. And that requires a little bit of empathy. That requires actually understanding what's going on. That requires a little bit of knowledge about how trauma changes how a person responds to conflict, or uh, just a little bit of knowledge about how someone who's experiencing homelessness um, is just really, really tired of, of being preyed upon by jerks. And sometimes that can come back on you, even though you're not the one that caused it. And so a little bit of empathy, a little bit of understanding of, I, I hate to say it, you know, just a, just a pinch of, of kind of social work training goes a long ways in helping person to escalate a situation with someone whose whose life experiences are very different than their own. Yeah, I mean, in all and certainly not an expert on empathy, something I try to do, but probably am not that great at a lot of times. But um is a key to the empathy 
needing to be able to put yourself in the situation when in this case, most people I would, you know, you would hope haven't been homeless. Thank God I haven't been, I haven't had this experience. Right. So it's almost like, are you asking people to get there when they really, it's almost impossible. Is that why you train like, okay, here's what you should do. Cause People trying to empathize, like, man, what if I was homeless? I mean, we can't even fathom it. I would think, right? We can't even be like, oh, I can imagine what that's like, you know? Yeah, I, I can't help you have the totality understanding experience of what it's like to be homeless. I mean, I've, I've never been homeless, so I don't have that totality either. Um, but certain de-escalation techniques make more sense and are more important when you understand a little bit about what's going on. So, for example, uh, trauma. Trauma is widespread amongst chronically homeless individuals. In fact, almost 100% of people who've been homeless for years have some sort of trauma, some sort of PTSD. And when you understand that trauma is going to change the way that their amygdala responds to conflict, you you do conflict de-escalation slightly differently than you would with someone who who has not experienced profound trauma. And so again, just that little bit of knowledge of it, kind of putting yourself in that person's shoes, or at least understanding that they're going to experience the world differently than you do, goes a long way towards de-escalating a situation. That's almost like a life lesson just in general. <laughs> you know, when you think about dealing with people, like I don't understand millennials. I, I go off on them all the time. Like I don't understand millennials, but I try <laughs> to put myself in their shoes kind of, right? But um, not that I want to spoil all that you're going to give content-wise to the RLPSA folks, but talk a little bit about why you're qualified to even address this, like give us your background and what you're doing and, and, you know, how, you know, so much about this. Sure. Uh, so homelessness is pretty much all I've ever done. Uh, I started volunteering at the local shelter when I was 13 years old. Um, I, I will give you a little funny backstory in that. I actually didn't go because I wanted to like help anybody. I went because I was in Sunday school and all the girls signed up and I thought maybe I could get a date out of it. So there was no altruistic reasons whatsoever for starting that. <laughs> But once I got there, I just I just fell in love with the place. And so I continued to volunteer in junior high and high school and college. Uh, I joined the staff in college, uh, interned there all through law school and grad school, took the bar exam, became a lawyer and immediately became executive director of the shelter. And so I spent I've spent almost the entirety of my career running a very large homeless shelter outside of Chicago. So so law lawyer into executive director tell so what's the connection there and that maybe it's ridiculously stupid question but i'm i'm curious i i don't know that there is uh okay. so uh, i was working at the shelter before law school and and i was talking to my boss and saying you know i wanted to go get some more education and she said well you should go get a law degree i'm like sure i'll go get a law degree and um it yeah, most people really... can just decide to do that. <laughs> no big deal. There's no real requirements for going to law yeah. school. <laughs> it turned out to be a really good decision, though, um, and not just because of of you know the legal background, but because of the way it helps you think. And um, it's actually been really, really helpful in some kind of strange ways in, in working in a homeless shelter and working with individuals experiencing homelessness. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So, a lot. So you said one of the. It's one of the largest in the country, right? Right outside Chicago. Second, yeah. Second largest in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen some stuff in your history here. I've had a knife pulled on me. I've broken up hundreds of fights. Um, I could go on and on and on. Yeah. A, so a few if, incidences. So for those listening that may not be at our PSA, which is ridiculous, 
Well, unless you're a retailer, or not restaurant. Um, talk a little bit about like if you had to if you had to boil down one. And I know I should have sent you this one because it's going to require some like serious thought. <laughs> if, if you had to boil down like what principle do retailers or organizations in general get wrong when dealing with the homeless? Like what would what is that? Like what is the thing that people get? these organizations when trying to deal with it, because a little backstory, I'll give you some time to think about it. Not that you need it, but you know, we've had, we have these RLPSA connects, right. Where we've had a group of folks kind of talking about what they're doing to, to help make their restaurant in safe, right. For consumers and employees. And it's like, okay, well, in some States they're camping out, there's nothing they could do about it. And so they're having to like, cap their spigots and, you know, not make it user-friendly, I guess you would say. Like, what is, is that, is that the right way to go? Is it like, okay, we're going to make it physically uncomfortable for people to be around our retail establishment, let's just say, or like, maybe we should do something different. Like what is, I, there's really two questions there. Yeah. So I think the biggest mistake organizations are making is is they're waiting until the problem becomes untenable before they do anything. And at that point, they're frantic. And it's it's oftentimes just going to it's going to involve just a, a call to the police and they're going to go from there. There's some work you can do kind of before you have a problem to to alleviate the problems or get rid of them in, entirely. Uh, but you have to it requires a little bit of proactive action before the, the proverbial, you know, what hits the fan. Yeah. Like what? Uh, so little stuff like, uh, so if you've got someone, in, in, an individual that's camping out near your business, actually getting to know them just a little bit can go a long ways towards preventing problems later. So, uh, for example, just a little, Hey, good morning. My name's so-and-so what's your name? Uh, then when there's a problem later, you'd be like, Hey, John, um, I brought this coffee for you, but man, I, I, I really can't have you sitting here you know, that that's, this spot's really not going to work. And you can actually kind of work through this with a person but you have to get it ahead of the problem. If you come in frantically, once there's already a problem, you're probably going to come across more aggressively than you need to, which aggression just doesn't work with someone who's experienced trauma or is constantly having people aggressive against them. Um, and so just a little bit of preventative. So when I train, we have an entire section on how to prevent conflict. And I think that's probably the number one mistake that organizations of, of all types, whether it's restaurants uh, or, or homeless shelters, quite honestly, make is that they don't realize you can actually, the, the vast majority of conflict management is actually conflict prevention if you're doing it right. Yeah, it's almost like building a relationship with somebody before you ask them to, I don't know, give you money or something, you know, right? I mean, you don't, <laughs> you're not coming up with someone being like, hey, I don't know you, but how about 20 bucks? So, well, and curious. it works, it's doubly true with somebody who's super vulnerable. Like, if you're being treated like garbage all day, every day by everybody you meet, and then one restaurant owner is actually nice to you and treats you with dignity, you're typically going to, you know, they give you a favor, you give them a favor, even if that means you need to move along for today or or pick up, you know, your litter or whatnot. Um, again, th things are slightly different when you're working with somebody who's who's extremely vulnerable. So I know I've heard this several times, like if you're too nice or give coffee or, you know, whatever, then it's just going to invite more folks to your restaurant or cause them to stay longer. Like what's 
what's the deal with that? Because it sounds like, I mean, wouldn't it be like a fine balance? So people think that there's this kind of dichotomy between like being nice or being compassionate and, and enforcing the rules. And I just I just don't buy that. I, I'm a big believer in you should be compassionate and you should enforce the rules. Like I'm a big fan of like chaos is not a good thing. Chaos doesn't serve anybody. Anarchy is not 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 helpful. And so we need people to follow the rules. We need people to to kind of do what's socially appropriate. Um but we can enforce those rules and we can we can require uh, civility in a way that's compassionate. And the, the shocking thing is it's actually more effective than coming in, you know, all aggressive and rude, particularly to someone who's who's quite honestly used to conflict. A different approach is just far more effective. It also is just far more pleasant to go about your life that way, um, even if it weren't more effective. But it is. Yeah. So, so, you... so I guess my, 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 I want to like. Directly your point. My point there is not like, hey, let's uh, let's turn our restaurant into a homeless shelter. Like, well, let's just give away free food constantly and anybody consider all day, all day, every day that they want. No, I mean, people need to follow the rules, whatever those rules are. But we can arrive at that place in a much more, a much more compassionate, and dignified manner, which has this kind of a side benefit, which is you don't end up on YouTube when one of your other patrons films you calling the police on a dude who's just, uh, you know, drinking coffee quietly in the corner. Um, which is, I know, another major concern that the restaurants are facing these days is the, the trap between a population that, that that's quite honestly struggling to follow the rules and struggling to get along, and then trap between that and a public that is just hungry to shame major brands on YouTube uh, for one of their you know hundred thousand employees making a stupid move. Yeah, I mean, I um, I feel for our members. It's just the pressure is insane, right? I mean, down to the very last youngest worker, right, that has their cell phone filming things. But so I guess um, just to be frank, right, I mean, I think a lot of times what you're saying sounds good. It's like, okay, yeah, be nice. Be like, hey, what's your name? But in some instances, I think fear is like a big, I don't know if it's a problem or it's just a human reaction because like, especially as a woman, honestly, like if I'm walking down the street and then I've, I've, I see a homeless person coming this way, maybe I'm like outing like my bias or something, but you know, if, especially if I have my daughter, like you get a little, like, I don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? Because you hear all of these things about like, well, most of the homeless population are nuts and you know, and then you're like, okay, well, really are they like, I'm curious you as an expert, like is that what you see? Is that, is that most of it are, they're just like literally off the scale of like, they'll, you, you know what I mean? I think so. Yeah. So if you think about like, oh, okay, I want to, I want to be kind to this person and be gentle at first. I think even that initial approach is sometimes scary to where they're just like, oh, let's just call the cops because I don't want to get in the mix of this because is it a myth that like most of them are going to Split your throat? I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to be candid. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So so let's back up. Let's kind of do a homeless 101 here. Uh, there's actually three different types of homelessness. And most people, when they think of homelessness, they're actually only thinking about a very tiny percentage of the population. So about half the individuals who experience homelessness will only be homeless for about two weeks or less. They're barely oh, homeless. There, yeah. There's no mental health issues. There's there's no substance use issues. They had some sort of, they, they lost a job quite honestly, or had some oh. sort of major debt. They become homeless. They work their butts off. They get back on their feet again. They go on their way. That population typically doesn't 
fit any of our stereotypes of homelessness. And so those individuals are coming into restaurants all day, every day, and nobody knows that they're homeless because they don't look the part. Did you say now, that's the majority of the three that's, types? That's 50%. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the next 40% is going to be more than two weeks, but less than a year. This population typically has one major issue. So there's a mental health issue or a substance abuse issue or a legal issue or a medical issue, but only one. And it takes about a year to work through one major barrier, get back on your feet again. This population also doesn't look homeless, which means 90% of the homeless population, when they come into your restaurant, you have no idea that they're homeless. They don't cause any problems. They go on their merry way. Life's good. That last 10%, though, which the, which the federal government calls chronic homelessness. So it's a year, two years, five years, 25 years. That population is, is very, very different than the other 90%. There's almost always a mental health issue of some kind, oftentimes substance abuse on top of that, definitely trauma on top of that, legal issues, medical issues, unemployability, on and on and on. That last 10%, they are really, really struggling with a lot of issues. And that is who most people think of when they think of homelessness, which is just statistically not true. But from a restaurant- But they're the most visible- they're the most visible, and that's the population that's ha having the hardest time following the rules, the hardest time following the law. And so when I train, I just I train exclusively on that last 10%. The other 90%, quite honestly, there's no problems there. There's no issues. There's no real need for specialized training. That last 10%, though, they're struggling with so many issues that if you don't have a little bit of knowledge about how they operate, mental illness, for example. Uh, so when you're, when you're addressing mental illness, the vast majority of in individuals with a mental health issue, not dangerous at all. And even really, really bizarre behavior, not dangerous. That said, there are a few exceptions. There are a few, there's like three key indicators of things that actually are dangerous associated with mental illness. And that's helpful for two reasons. One, if you know those, you can look out for those. And if you see them, you know, okay, this is, this is a 911 call. But if you don't see these, then you're just dealing with somebody who's who's suffering from some pretty significant issues and you can address it in a very different way. It doesn't require a 911 call. So that's that part... it requires a little bit of specialized, a little bit of specialized knowledge. So is that part of your training though? Because it seems like that would be a huge key to all of this, right? Because if you're going by what the media covers, right, which is the homeless guy that, you know, was in Vegas and stabbed killed five tourists on the strip just cause or something. Cause the little guy in his head told him to, and, and that's what the only thing they're covering, right. Or the guy pushing people in front of subway tracks, which really gives this thought that that's what you're thinking when you see the guy sipping his coffee in the corner. Right. I mean, so I wonder that it's like, you know, is that, that could be a huge key to the training and I don't know. I don't know. Do you get that great? Like, is it important for organizations to get that granular is my rambling question, because it seems like it would matter. So I tend to focus on you know, if, if the perception is this whole population is dangerous, they're going to, you know, throw me in front of train tracks or whatever. It's really helpful to know here's where things actually are genuinely dangerous. And if you don't have these, you're not there's no there's no real danger in the situation, uh, because if I just come in and say, oh, you know, no one with significant mental health issues is is dangerous. Well, that's not true. There is a very, very tiny proportion that actually is dangerous, but it's a very, very tiny proportion. And if you don't know what to look for, then sure, you're going to look at the entire population and you're going to be terrified. Um, and so again, it just requires a little bit of, just, and not even a lot, just a little bit of specialized knowledge about, about what's going on with the other person's life.
Yeah. I mean, it is, it is tough because you're like, okay, well, the guy that's walking down the street talking to himself, that's scary. It is when you don't know, when you're not used to that. So at our shelter, um, I think right now we have somewhere between 12 and 15 people in the middle of an active schizophrenic episode. So that's not just suffering from schizophrenia. That's in the middle of an active episode right now. And so we might have 10 or 12 or 15 people in a single dining room at once suffering from from a pretty profound uh, schizophrenia. Um, and again, once you know what to look for, somebody talking to themselves, well, it may not be something that you can allow to happen in your restaurant because of the, the the fear factor for everyone else it doesn't mean that it's a dangerous situation to de-escalate or to or to handle so people would probably be listening to this and be like right okay so you're telling me that you could train to your population which you know i mean there's that's a lot of people that these restaurants have you know in the tentacles of all over the country right to and maybe it's just like the store manager right that would get your type of training that would really it sounds like turn on its head what everybody might be doing now which is calling the cops which in this time and era isn't that helpful because they're like okay stop calling us we're not coming right i mean because poor cops are short staffed yeah i'm a fan of if you if you can handle it, you should handle it. If you can't handle it, that's what the police are for. And the vast majority of situations, um, managers can't handle it themselves. Um, but yes, absolutely, we can train organizations. That's that's literally that's all I do right now. We've trained about let's say two hundred thousand people um, in all sorts of organizations. A few restaurants, not many, um, but a few. And you know whether we've trained law enforcement on how to handle it properly, so it doesn't necessarily have to end in arrest. Um, homeless shelters. We trained a lot of libraries. And so uh, you figure a library situation, it's it's going to be relatively quiet. It's going to be relatively peaceful. Um, and, you know, a few individuals struggling with schizophrenia in the middle of a library is incredibly, incredibly disruptive. And so, yes, we can train organizations to to manage this stuff. Absolutely. And sometimes you do have to call the police. I, I, I am not Pollyanna here to say like, well, I can solve all your problems and you never have to call the police. No, sometimes the situation warrants it and you just, you know, you're, you're not going to have any choice. But um, the vast majority of times situations can be handled if you have a little bit of knowledge as to what the other person's uh, experiencing. You know, it's interesting. And I know I joke, I joke about millennials, right? I joke, but it is what's cool about what we have seen. And we're about the same age, right? Mm -hmm. I hope I'm not older than you, but um, <laughs> like- Of course not, never. Of course not. Younger, <laughs> in fact, no. Um, what's What I find to be interesting is you look back, right? Of when we were growing up and it, it's like not cool to talk about uh, vulnerability and empathy. And you like, in, in my, at least in my household, I don't know, I mean- <laughs> It was like, you suck it up, you work hard, you don't talk about it, you just get it done, you go through it, and then you pay your dues, right? And then this evolution of these kids that are like, no, I'm okay, my moment, my person, you know, they got all these phrases, which I joke, but it's great, right? Because now you what's ushered in this era of like, talk about it, mental health issues, pretty much the norm. Everybody's got their stuff, you know what I mean? So I think it's really cool that it's you're bringing these principles um, into like how this all works and dealing with people. 
Yes and no. And so um, not to, I, I, maybe I'm- I Now don't it's your get, turn to dirt on millennials. That yeah, was- maybe maybe I don't want to get pigeonholed as, as, as like a millennial. Uh, I'm a little too Gen X for that. No, um, my point though is that this, that the, the the key to de-escalating with with the homeless population is not some sort of like new age woo woo let's let's all find Rainbows our shock yeah exactly no so when I say empathy and I'm almost hesitant to use the word empathy because it it conjures up images of anything goes yeah um you know just be nice that's not what I mean at all I, you should be nice but that's not what I mean by empathy what I mean by empathy is understanding the other person's perspective. It's, and I don't mean that, like not in this kind of new age, like woo woo, but in a just kind of a very practical, if you understand where the other person's coming from, you can help them to follow the rules. You can help them to manage the situation far better than if you have no idea what they're what they're about. It's I mean, it's like, I'm sure you've done some high level negotiations. When you're negotiating with another party, if you understand their perspective, if you understand what their goals are, what their struggles are, you can you can do that negotiation better. And and honestly, everybody wins. And the same thing here. If you can understand that individual in front of you who's struggling with some pretty profound issues in just a little bit deeper way than the than the than the general population, you can help them follow the rules and 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 move along and and get along in ways that um kind of are beyond just this whole like, oh, let's all understand each other. I think we all should understand each other. That's not what I'm trying to do here though. I'm trying to remove conflict, remove problems from from some very uncomfortable situations that are uncomfortable for the staff member from the restaurant, but also potentially very, very problematic for the the, from the whole homeless individual as well. And so if we can make that interaction safer, calmer, less full of conflict, everybody wins. Yeah, because your title, chief empathy officer, is people are not going to go into it thinking it's that. Right. I mean, they're going to think of it's the rainbows and the just be nice, which is why I'm so excited to have you at our PSA, because it's going to be like, what? He's actually giving us actionable things to reduce this conflict. I mean, so again, I ran a homeless shelter for, for I don't know, two decades. And, you know, the staff staff at a homeless shelter, they don't want to get punched. They don't want to get cussed at. They don't want to get threatened any more than anybody else does. And so it's in that I came out of an environment of having to we have to have an environment where hundreds of people can live safely together with as little conflict as possible. That's not just about like, hey, everybody do what you want and it'll work out in the end. It won't work out in the end. You actually have to manage the situation to create a safe, healthy environment for everybody, whether they're struggling with mental health issues, substance issues or not. See, now I'm seeing the attorney angle in this because you don't <laughs> see many soft rainbow sunshines attorneys, right? So it's a perfect marriage. All right. So we're wrapping this up, but I have to ask you, because when we were talking before you were like, um, I was like, what should we call it? You know, we're talking about the title of this, right? I was like, should we call it unhoused or there's all these other terms. And I was like, I don't want to offend anybody. Right. Like, I don't, how does this all go? And you were like, no, it is what it is. Tell us about that. I, I have to give this out. I have to. Yeah. So um, language matters. It doesn't matter as much as we want it to, though. And um, whether we if, if a lot of people don't want to use the word homeless because it has a stigma to it, which it does. Uh, but if we move to the word unhoused, the stigma will just follow it to that. And then we're going to have to find a new word for unhoused. And then we'll move it to something else. And the stigma will fall to that. That is not how you end stigma. You end stigma by getting people talking to each other and interacting and realizing they're not as scary or as bad or as horrible or as evil as, as, the, as the stereotypes 
um, would have you imagine. And so I don't, I just don't worry about the, the language. I'm more worried more about allowing people to have an interaction that doesn't leave them terrified, that leaves them going, oh, that gentleman suffers from schizophrenia and he's a human being and I have to help him follow the rules, but I know how to do that. So that that's how you reduce stigma, not by just changing words. I love that. I knew you would say it better than I. So I had to give you the I had to give you the platform because it's such a good point. All right. Thank you so much. This was Thank awesome. You. We have to end it here because I'm just going to dig in and we have to get you to RLPSA. So if you want more with Ryan, you have to come to RLPSA April 2nd through the 5th. Denver, downtown, not out there by the airport, you know, where there's nothing there. It's right downtown. All right. Thank you so much for coming into the Talk LP hot seat. We look forward to seeing you at our LPSA. Sounds good. See you there. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody.